Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back into a very special edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast. And you know, I'm an over-preparer, guys. You know, when I've got a good guest coming in, I'm always reading their books ahead of time, writing out a whole list of questions. I have a huge set of notes for a show, but today we're doing things a little bit different. I have absolutely no script. I don't even know what we're going to talk about. All I've got are a couple friends. I got a drink in front of me, an adult beverage, and we're going to do something, a little something that we're calling Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. (laughs) Now, I got to put a few disclaimers out here off the bat because, hey, I'm not even in my living room. I'm actually in the office, in the Lions of Liberty Studios. Uh, B, yes, we are blatantly stealing this title from Jerry Seinfeld and his Comedians in Cars Drinking Coffee series, which he has online. We're just completely stealing that so we can do this little roundtable with you here today. And we've kind of done this before. We've done this a couple times. We had our Rand Paul whiskey chat way back last year. We also did an end of the year special. And now this is hopefully something that'll catch on. Libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. Now, who are my other libertarians that are here with me? I've got a few familiar names, some people that have been following our website and our podcast. Uh, we'll start off with me. I'm the host, your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. And that's pretty much what I do. I write some articles. I write the morning roar. I write Mondays with Murray. And I'm just generally your hostess with the Moses here. <laughs> in here, in the Lions of Liberty studios with me today, once again, live in the studio, the third time in here, Ladies and gentlemen, Brian McWilliams, everybody. Thank you. It smells the same every time. Hey, uh, Brian, what, what are you drinking here today? I, I, I glossed over my drink already. I actually am drinking a little bit of Sailor Jerry's right now, Sailor Jerry's rum. And I want to put one more disclaimer out here, actually. You know, we're all having around. We're all grown adults having some adult beverages. But, guys, I know there's some teenagers listening, some younger people. We're not here to encourage extremely heavy, irresponsible drinking much of which we did back in our college days, we will fully admit. That's one way we guys met, back in college, and that's what made us the Lions of Liberty today. But, you know, be responsible. We don't encourage drinking and driving. But if you're of age and you're an adult, there's nothing wrong with having a couple beverages and, you know, getting a little relaxed, shooting the shit. That's what we're going to do today. So, Brian, what do you have in your glass there? Well, today I'm drinking the McAllen Director's Edition. It's a whiskey of extraordinary smoothness and elegance, according to the bottle. And I can attest to it, it is pretty smooth, and very elegant, much like myself. Great. Now, one other thing I want to do, I want to, just to kind of help introduce people to everybody, help get a sense of our personalities, our style. Do you have a favorite, like, drinking scene from a movie? What's your favorite drinking scene from a movie? Favorite one? Most people may not remember, but it is it does exist. Now, in Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, right after they get canned from the university and kicked out on the street, Bill Murray pulls out a flask and starts singing... To the late now, Egon. Call it fate. Call it, uh, luck. Call it karma. I believe everything happens for a reason. Takes a big swig off his flask. I don't know what's in it. Assumably, the McAllen, and that'll do it for me. Alright, it's, it's a subtle scene. You don't really notice it, but it's a great scene. And Very uplifting. There is Never give involved. up. Never give <laughs> up, that's what he says. Oh, who is that? Oh, who's that chiming in? That was one of my Pittsburgh boys. That was, we're gonna toss this thing all the way across the country. Because we got a couple lines of liberty over in Pittsburgh. Starting off with a guy I just heard chirp in there, Trent Seaman. Trent is a good friend of the website, good friend of ours, a guy that's always tossing out good questions for us to ask, making great comments on the social media, and has become a great part of this podcast when we do these roundtables. So Trent Seaman, welcome in. Tell everybody, what are you drinking over there? What's your favorite drinking scene from a movie? I'm just working on a couple Bud Lights over here. and Taking it easy. Taking it easy for now. (laughs) It's a school night. We don't want to get too out of control. <laughs> it is a school night. <laughs> the uh, best drinking scene for me would have to be from Animal House when they close down the fraternity and Otter grabs a fifth of Jack Daniels and throws it to Bluto right after his famous line and he takes the, uh, the fifth of whiskey down in about five seconds. That's uh, probably my favorite drinking scene ever. And Maybe for a uh, honorable mention, we'd have to give it to Bill Murray as Hunter S. Thompson in Where the Buffalo Roam. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. That whole movie counts as a drinking scene, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of one continuous scene, so it's tough to pick a favorite from that one. And also over in Pittsburgh, sitting right there with Mr. Seaman, we've got the one and only 
John Odermatt. I just heard that Bud Light crack open. So this is legit, folks, just so you know. You know, we're not just saying we're having a few drinks. You heard the Bud Light crack. We are as legit as they come. We also got our good buddy, author of the weekly Felony Friday, amongst many other con- contributions to our website, Mr. John Odermatt. Welcome on into the Lions of Liberty podcast. Great to be here, Mark. Excellent. We are locked and loaded. And what are you drinking over there? And you know, why don't you toss out your favorite drinking scene from a movie? I am drinking some, uh, probably the most famous beer in all of Pennsylvania, a delicious Yinling lager. Uh, gotta, gotta go with Yinling. It's always delicious, <laughs> always uh, just right, and uh, gets the job done. Um, we can't get that out here still. Yeah, we, we have some divided camps here then. There's a very clear divide. <laughs> Out here in L.A., it's happy hour time. We've got more of the hard liquors, and you guys, you know, it's getting a little later in the evening. Maybe you, you don't want to wake up feeling too bad, so you're, you're you're resting on the beer. So that's that's kind of the division we have right now. What about your favorite drinking scene, Odie? I've got to go with uh, the movie Beer Fest, I'm sure. Mostly everyone who has ever drank has watched that movie. And uh, I'm just going to go with the entire movie, since the whole movie is basically... A uh, drinking fest. Uh, das Boot chugging out of a... Das Boot! Uh, Glass boot is always uh, phenomenal. So beer fest it is. All right, I think that definitely uh, that definitely qualifies. And I got to put mine in there. Mine's a pretty simple one. It's one pretty much everyone's familiar with. It. But every time I see it, I love it. Old school Frank the Tank when he goes back to college <laughs> and goes to that party and gets hammered. It just doesn't get better than Will Ferrell doing keg stands once it hits your lips. <laughs> so good. All right, now Snoop a loop. Bring your green hat. Great. Now that we have established our drinking credentials, let's try to get a little bit more into some actual discussion of libertarian ideas and that kind of thing. Like I said, I have no script. I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about. Why don't we just toss it over to Brian? Brian, what's on your mind? What's going on in current events? What do you want to discuss today? Well, I mean, as always, as you know, I enjoy talking about Rand Paul. Uh, For better or worse... Rand Paul is always top of my mind. I've heard of that guy. <laughs> Have you heard? He's been around a little while. I've got his trading card. Uh, rookie <laughs> trading card, mind you. He has autograph yet, Brian. I got it autographed. I sent it to him. He wrote back well, saying... The uh, Rand Paul uh, senatorial primary 2010 card is, is actually skyrocketing in value, so hold on to that one. It is hugely valuable. I'm selling it next week at a card show. Uh, anyway, so here's the thing. Rand Paul today, I'm sure people know about this, but he was uh, he was doing a second filibuster on the issue of drones... Basically, what happened? The uh, you know the uh, Obama administration had nominated David Barron, if I'm remembering that correctly. I think I am as the basically as a, a new court of appeals judge, and Rand Paul is objecting to that with just cause, basically because Barron is one of the guys that wrote some memos which were never shared because why would they ever share anything with us? Basically, that are justifying uh, using drones to assassinate the peeps uh, of American heritage, wherever they may be, the peeps. I keep it cool for the kids. Uh, so what do you guys think of this drone thing? Did you see the, the Rand Paul filibuster? Did, what do you guys think of that? Do you think he's, is he winning some points back with you guys that if he's lost any or what, what's your view? What about you guys? Trent, what do you think? You know, Rand's one of those guys that you can always nitpick him to death and find the things you're not happy about. But the fact that he stands up there and he's, he's, he's being somewhat of a resistance to the status quo up there. For me, that I, I got to give him a thumbs up. I like the guy. I mean, I think there's definitely some things that he does that makes you feel like he may not be the libertarian we want him to be, but I, I like his filibusters. I, I like the fact that he stands up there and calls these guys out for what they are, and even if no one's there with him, he's at least someone that's that's putting some resistance to what's going on there, because everything McWilliams said, I mean, this is just insane how... Just average Americans are being labeled as terrorists just because they have more than seven days of food in their house. Yeah, well, that's one of the things he went into. Um, he, he went into how the government has these definitions of terrorist, and if someone is designated a terrorist, essentially they can be targeted for assassination. Not really legally, but it's the position of the administration that if they are quote unquote engaged in combat, I believe yes. that um, that they are, you know, they can, or if they can label them a terrorist, then they can be assassinated essentially, and that was what. Rand Paul was protesting well, it's today. Like what you and I, I both wrote article this a while ago. Is that that whole thing of like who's an enemy combatant? How do you know? You know, it's That's, like what's a combatant? I mean, define that. Is is a combatant somebody that is is protesting and there's a police officer standing on the other side of the yellow line in the street? Is that combat? Where are these definitions coming from? And what is the 
I don't remember what the exact nomenclature was he said, but a heritage American. I mean, what exactly is that? What is that? Yeah, I mean, do you have to go back five generations to uh, to be safe from the drones, or if <laughs> if it's just if you're a one generation guy, you gotta you gotta worry. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how that works. If you're like a Civil War reenactor and you have a you know an Enfield rifle on your shoulder, is that does that make you a uh, a terrorist because you have a revolver next to you as well? Is that your two guns and now you're a terrorist? It's just, it's insane. How long did he actually filibuster today? Because I know they kind of changed the rules, so he didn't, it wasn't like last time with yeah. a 13-hour deal. I know you were really watching it, Brian. How long How long was I, he actually you know, up there? I didn't see it live, unfortunately. I think the, the video I watched was only about 30 minutes. Um, I, I'm not sure the exact amount of time if it was cut in certain, certain ways or edited for time. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Because, like you said, it, it, the rules are changed, so there's no really a point in standing up there forever to delay a vote because he wasn't going to be able to change the vote either way. How did the rules change? What are the new rules since his last one? Basically, uh, I should Google this first. But basically what they did was <laughs> they voted to lower the number of votes needed to pass uh, to pass a motion. So before you needed 60 votes. So, you know, you'd filibuster and filibuster and filibuster and... You know, you could kind of make it last to, to see if anybody would come on your side, I believe. And now they lowered the number of votes so much that it's like you can filibuster all you want, but they're still going to be able to pass it through without much of a problem. I believe that was the major change. There. And isn't that scary? I mean, you used to be able to filibuster. I mean, that's been part of American politics for hundreds of years now, 200 years. And now all of a sudden you can't do that anymore. To me, that's the only time politics gets interesting is when one of those guys goes and stands up there for 12, 15 hours and, and grinds the whole thing to a halt whenever they're stopped from conducting their daily business, which is usually no good. What about you? Did you see any of this filibuster? What do you think of Rand's recent moves here? I, I did not see any of it, but one thing about uh, Rand Paul and the, the filibuster today on drones is it definitely is a shrewd political move. And uh, something to keep in mind, um, at least that I noticed with Rand, is that he's always... Um, looking at how people look at him, how the media looks at him, and he keeps that in mind when he frames his arguments. So I think something to, something to think about is he's bringing up drones right now, right when other Republicans are going into primaries, and I think he's uh, framing this argument as to best benefit the Republican Party and maybe not necessarily benefit liberty. That's our harshest critic yet of, Ran of Rand's yeah. current. So you basically think, you know, while it's great what he's doing, he's maybe has some ulterior motives. He's more thinking about the political repercussions, knowing that he can't actually alter this vote in really any way. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just wildly speculating, not going to lie. Well, but, sure, that's, I mean, what, yeah. that's what we're here to do, right? Have another beer and speculate some more. Do you think he's posturing for 2016, or do you think he's going to go further down the road I think I think, here? I think he's posturing for 2016, but he's posturing by throwing out a softball to fellow Republicans, bringing up drones again, hitting Obama and the Democrats where they can hit them and to, uh, you know, he'll get some thank yous for that when he, uh, when he runs in the primary. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking today, this is an image that popped into my head. <laughs> we may cut this ramble in a minute, but I was just thinking about <laughs> oh no, this one, this one's not getting edited. I gave John the week off. I didn't know that. Bye guys. This one's Saturday Night Live, guys. If you're hearing yeah, well, it, it's happening. It's live to tape. Go ahead. Well, it's just talking about you know Rand's aspirations, and you know I I I'm thinking about him a little bit. Like he's kind of this libertarian zombie, where he's just he's an unstoppable force that just keeps moving forward. He seems unkillable at this point. He's had so many faux pas, <laughs> you can't kill the guy. And I just don't know if he's you know you think of zombies, you usually think of them out there, they're rotting, they're falling apart. So I'm looking at his libertarian <laughs> principles rotting and falling off him. But on the other side, a lot of libertarians are like, oh, you know what? Rand's just playing possum. You know, he's he's just waiting. And then when he gets elected, he's going to spring out. So the question is, is Rand rotting from the outside or from the inside? If he's rotting from the outside, fine. I appreciate his zombie uh, his zombie tactics. And I look forward to a beautiful rebirth once he gains the presidency. My only question is how how many weeks have you been waiting to come on the show and gonna give us that a zombie analogy? Because I, I know you've been I know you've been building up for a while. Literally thought of it today. I may have even gone to the bathroom. Where all great thoughts come to mind. <laughs> all right, we'll take your word for it. I mean, my thing with Rand is I don't want to harp on it too much more. Lord knows we spent enough time talking about Rand. As always, I'll praise him when he's right, and I'll you know I'll criticize him when he's wrong. And you know, there's a difference between disagreeing with what he does and actually criticizing things he says from the libertarian philosophical viewpoint and because so many people view Rand as a libertarian right or wrong that is how he is viewed if he says or does something that is really not 
in tune with libertarian philosophy, I'm going to come out and say so. But, you know, if you compare him to any other senator up there, he's obviously doing a lot of great work, um, regardless of his motive. If his, if his motives are, you know, playing to this libertarian audience that is going to be concerned about, you know, murdering people overseas without any sort of legal process or trial, if, I mean, that, maybe that's just a good result of the way, you know, pe- with the way things are shifting, of the shifting views that people have towards kind of a more freedom-oriented view. And if that forces politicians to start taking those views, well, great, because then if they don't actually back them up once they get into office or with their legislation or their votes, that gives us even more ammo to call them out and really just helps us advance the ideas either way. So as always, Rand, I think you did a good thing with the filibuster. You're bringing good issues forward. I don't know what your motives are. Maybe they're just to get into power. Maybe you're the libertarian white in shining armor, but whatever you are, I'm going to keep the same policy will stay in place. Criticize you when I need to. Praise you when I don't. Today you get praise from me. Odie, what's, what else is going on? Anything else on your mind here? we got a little more time to fill, it turns out. <laughs> I think uh, what's always on my mind is, is felonies. Felonies are always on my mind. Right. I don't know why. I'm paging through the news and the word just jumps out at me. Felony. And uh, so... Uh, like to talk about the I think you put in the roar yesterday mark maybe yeah I think yesterday um, down in uh, Texas the kid who made some some uh, hash brownies oh, used yeah. hash yeah. oil and uh, made the brownies and because he used hash oil and not marijuana I guess they were able somehow in the law to use the entire weight of the brownie to come up with a sentencing or uh, a charge against this poor young guy so he was, I guess, charged with uh, a felony, and I guess the sentence could be something from, I think, five years to life, maybe? It was was that what it was? Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. Five years to life, yes. And, and you know, we you got to hope maybe a jury or a judge somewhere in there will have a little bit of sympathy and not give him a life sentence. But, I mean, you're still talking about tossing a teenager, even at the bare minimum, into jail for five years, essentially ruining his life. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know well, how you can go without, you know, advancing your schooling. Take how you can ex- how do you explain a five year absence from the workforce and and not going to school when you come back out? Oh, I was in jail for five years for for what? For drugs? I mean, it, look look how that is just going to affect someone's life going forward, Brian. Well, that's well, this is like one of those instances where you'd think the jury would say this is ridiculous. Like somebody's got to say this is ridiculous. It goes against all common sense to do this to somebody. And there is, I'm trying to think of the exact term for it. Jury nullification. Jury nullification. Thank you, Mark. Exactly. This is one of the things you say, I hope this jury knows about jury nullification, which for our listening audience that doesn't know, basically the jury can say, we do not condone this sentence. We're going to go against, you know, whatever the stated uh, sentence should be. We don't agree with it. We're not going to condone it. And we're going to give them a different sentence. Well, well, not in the sentence, but jury nullification, they can actually... And the funny thing that happens here, it's not funny, but judges will actually instruct people that they have to just look at the letter of the law, mm-hmm. nothing else. They can't let their personal bias in, their morality. Judges will often tell people this, but that's not actually true. Jur- juries are able to find someone innocent or guilty for any reason, and they can find someone gil- innocent and state that they are simply finding the law incorrect, the law wrong, and they can essentially nullify laws. Now, it's very hard to do in reality because, A, most people don't really know this. They don't really know that. And they dismiss you if you say you know about it. That's how you get off a jury, by the way. Well, <laughs> that is actually how you get off a jury because I did that not too recently. Did you? I, I didn't, well, I didn't bring up jury nullification per se, but, you know, they, they give you – this is a case involving a police officer and someone else, and they give you a list of questions in there. And, I, you know, it's, it's uh, have you ever had a bad incident with a police officer uh, as a pl- and all these, you know, different questions. All I did was answer the questions honestly. And, you know, I, I, so I, I said, yes, I've had bad instances with, with police officers. I've had a case where a police officer actually lied in court you know, to my face. So I just basically relayed those experiences. And when they pressed me further, I you know about whether that would affect my bias in the case. You know, I said, you know, I'll, I'll be as fair as I can be. But at the same time, I do understand that inherently, you know, the police officers, the prosecution, this is one team. They are on the same team. The police officer is not unbiased. He... You know, and that is something I would take into account when listening to the case, because that just seemed like a logical thing to me. So, uh, yes, I was I was summarily dismissed immediately uh, after those comments. But uh, yeah, anyway, as far as jury, jury nullification goes, yeah, it's shocking. Uh, I was I was out well before happy hour, so it was actually a decent day. Did you tell me your TSA ball grab story? Uh, we didn't get that far. No, yes, I have. I have you guys also. Uh, together. Maybe I'll link to that in this post. I did actually at one time get my testicles 
grabbed by a TSA agent, but that's that's a whole other tale. We're getting off topic, off topic, off topic. <laughs> hey, you tip them well but, enough, they'll do anything well, for you. But that's the nature of libertarians <laughs> in living rooms drinking liquor. It's going to go where it goes. But Why don't you uh, tell us a little more about that experience. We'll get think- there. We'll get there. I don't want to get. I don't want to get four four concepts away from from the original one about this team going to jail. But yeah, I mean, jury nullification is a tool that people don't most don't know about. And then you know, if you if you would you would basically have to convince the entire country to understand the concept of jury nullification for it to ever work because they're gonna they're gonna filter out anybody that would actually you know be thinking that unless you're doing the Rand Paul of juries and you're yes. gonna you're gonna stealthily <laughs> go in pretend to be you know a big you know your typical status who agrees with every law that we have and then you know rip off your t-shirt we are your nullify now t-shirt or, or whatever and uh you <laughs> know, do things that was in the lines of liberty store immediately absolutely um <laughs> Yeah, where were we? We got we got way off. Yeah, we, I mean, like you said, you hope the jury might nullify this or something like that. Maybe just find him innocent because the charge is so ridiculous. But I mean, basically, what it comes down to is just kind of the um, the way these drug laws are are written in so many ways is is you know because it's hash, it's considered an opiate. It's not the same as marijuana, although it's very similar in its effect. But because he used hash oil in it, it's a different classification of drug, and. Because of that, because it's an opiate, they are using the entire weight because it's oil. It's in the butter. It's considered in the entire. It was in the entire amount of the brownies. Uh, he had a pound and a half of brownies that he cooked up. So they're just saying because you have a pound and a half of brownies, you have a pound and a half of opiate. Therefore, you are essentially the big, the same. We're going to try you the same as the biggest drug dealer, you also know, insane. in history. So you know. Th- we have the U.S. military over in Afghanistan overseeing the growth of opium. Meanwhile, we're throwing a kid in jail, potentially for life, for having some hash oil, having some of that opiate that made its way over here. So it's it's absolutely insane. Uh, Trent, what do you got? Do you want to talk about that, or do you want me to go into the TSA? Yeah, no, no, getting on my balls. <laughs> because you need to take it a step further, too, and realize if this kid is locked in jail for five years to life, what is that costing the taxpayers of that particular state to have that kid incarcerated in an institution for his entire life. I mean, our, our prison system is enormous and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I think the last metric I saw is that our country is 20% of the total incarcerated population of the globe right now. Wow. And where is that getting us? So you're, like, like we talked about earlier, you're taking a a teenager off the street who has never had a chance to even produce anything for society, even contribute well, to the tax. Well, he produced some pretty good hash brownies from what I, from what I gather, but, but other than that. Okay, I shouldn't say he hasn't produced anything for society. <laughs> in, a, in a productive way, as the government would see a productive way. We're basically taking this kid and just making him a warden of the state for the next however many decades he would, he would live in incarceration. And all that is, is a liability for the taxpayers. So where is that getting us? You know, either remediate him or, you know, you have to do something else. But you can't just lock someone up for decades on end and hand the bill to the taxpayers. That's not productive at all. I mean, this, this all... Oh, go ahead, Odie. You're, you're basically sending the kid to drug school. I mean, you're sending someone to jail at the age of 18. Right. Who's he going to be surrounded by? He's going to be surrounded by people who sold probably harder drugs and worse drugs, not yeah. not made a bunch of pop brownies for their friends. I mean, it did it much more sophisticated. Probably can teach you the actual business of just distribution of drugs. That exactly. Probably the DEA doesn't. Well, if he's in there for life, maybe he'll get paroled in 75 years. By that time, maybe the war on drugs will be over. There you He'll have a job set up for him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and there there are certainly positive things coming from the war on drugs recently. I mean, a lot of states are essentially nullifying on the on the state level, nullifying federal marijuana laws, passing legal marijuana in various forms. Colorado and Washington is completely legal. Uh, I think more than half of the rest of the states at this point have some level of legal medical marijuana. But what this really comes down to is a bad philosophy people have, and that's why I always try to focus on this this idea that he, another human being is not allowed to own a certain plant or hold something that comes from nature in his possession, merely that simple act of having it is considered a crime by many people. And even many people that, I know a lot of people that are saying, yeah, this marijuana thing, it's, it's got to be legal. This is so silly. Obviously, marijuana is not that bad. You know, nobody's died from marijuana. It has medical effects. 
And uh, that's great. I'll support those guys all day long, and I'll, I'll hope that marijuana is made legal everywhere because so people don't end up in jail for silly things. But then those same people will say, well, but heroin, that's really evil. And, you know, cocaine, that's really evil. So those things should still be illegal. So, you know, those people still want to put this kid in jail because he's, you know, his hash qualifies under the opiates, under the heroin. I mean, it, it's... It's great to legalize marijuana, but we got to really focus on this overall concept of people accepting the idea that you should throw someone in a cage for simply possessing a plant or any other substance for that matter if it's not harming another individual or being forced upon another individual. Obviously, if I... If I give someone a hash brownie and tell them it's a regular brownie and they they have a problem, well, that's totally different. You know, that's then then I'm poisoning that person essentially. So, you know, in, in a libertarian sense, they could have a claim for that reason. But I just one quote I wanted to read from this kid's father also that I really found interesting. He says, "You know, I'm sorry. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm a conservative. I love my country. I'm a Vietnam veteran. But I'll be damned. This is wrong. This is damn wrong. If Jacob did something wrong, he should be punished. But to the extent that makes sense." This is illogical. I'm really upset. I'm frightened. I'm frightened for my son. And that's understandable. You know, his son's about to potentially go to jail for at least five years, if not the rest of his life. Uh, but, you know, it, it, he kind of gives us a little insight there. You know, he's he even says maybe he did kind of admits maybe he did do something wrong. Maybe he sh still should be punished. It's just that, that, that this particular punishment is too much. So, you know, even when we start to make a little progress, we really got to keep on this idea of this people just accepting you know, possessing another substance as a crime. What do you guys think about that? I think it comes down to personal responsibility. I mean, if you, it, it should be the individual's choice. If they want to put something in their body, that should be their choice. It shouldn't be the nanny state telling them they can or cannot do it. And if we do let you do it, we're going to tax you to do it. I, I think it all should come down to the individual. If, if you want to put something in your body, that should be your choice, and you should be able to pay someone to manufacture it. That cut and dry for me. It's that cut and dry for me too. I mean, there's there's no way the state should be dictating what an individual, what substance they decide to put in their body. Um, but to make just one more utilitarian point for those uh, utilitarians out there, people maybe trying to, you know, understand this from that perspective. Um, it's just th just think about if you, with marijuana being illegal, the only place you can buy it is on the black market. So when you go to a drug dealer to buy it on the black market, you're gonna be exposed to all the other drugs that drug dealers are selling. Heroin, cocaine, whatever else, meth. If you take marijuana or hopefully every drug out of the black market into, you know, into the open to be, um, you know, completely free from uh, regulation, then just like the, that interview you had with, uh, uh, stop the recording now. Dr. What was Mark, that Dr. Mark Thornton, I told you there's no stopping. <laughs> all your errors are going to air. <laughs> <laughs> that, that interview with uh, Dr. Mark Thornton talking about the reason there's so much violence in the uh, in the drug trade is because everything is in the black market. There's no uh, there's no law. You can't go to a you know a police officer, private or, or public, with with a dispute. You can't take it to court. You have to settle it you know with the violence basically. So when people start to understand it from from that perspective as well, I think that can only help the situation. Yeah, that was my interview with Dr. Mark Thornton on the economics of the drug war where we really discussed all the effects, all the kind of unseen secondhand effects that result from the illegalization of drugs. Uh, that's back in episode 7 of the Lions of Liberty podcast. So, hey, if you haven't heard it by now, what are you waiting for? Go check it out. But finish this episode first at least, all right? Help us get through it. Uh, you know, it's funny how this all ties in because I was just perusing the other day you know, in, in our most popular post of all time. We yeah, have, I know. We that's have so one bad. from Brian McWilliams. <laughs> about how privately owned prisons were out there suing states because of lack of prisoners. And, you know, one reason for lack of prisoner, which is just crazy, right? But the, the thing, and you wrote the articles, so chime in whenever you want, but, you know, as far as I understand, certain states have contracts with, with some of these prisons where they guarantee to fill it to a certain percentage of capacity, whether it's like 90% it's, or 95%. Yeah, it's, 95 like, it's like 90 or 95% capacity, which is, which is ridiculous to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to assure that we're going to have enough prisoners because then it's like, okay, how are you going to assure that? Right. Clearly, I mean, the, with the war on drugs, you know, ticky-tacky address, there's infinite number of ways, and it benefits not only these lobbyists, because these prisons have lobbyists out the wazoo, and probably more lobbyists for the prison industry than the oil industry, if you can imagine such a thing, but... You know, it's, these states are pressured and they want to make their contracts, otherwise they get sued. So what's the answer to that? Simple. Have the cops make more arrests, have the drug war continue, have more, you know, more strict laws in place and, and lower, um, 
you know, a lower bar for people as far as what's going to send you to jail. And there is nothing that helps... <laughs> helps the state, helps police make arrests than the war on drugs, because not only do they you know, arrest people that have drugs, but it gives them to ex an excuse to search people, to bust into houses, to do 3 a.m. no-knock raids. It, it serves as the cover for so many other rights violations, you know, stopping people on the street in New York City to stop and frisk thing. Oh, we've got to stop people to make sure they don't have guns and drugs. I mean, there it is so vast that I think it's probably, other than maybe war or something like that, I mean, it it's pretty much should be the number one libertarian priority. And it's such an easy issue, I think, for us to explain to people. I mean, sure, drugs are can sound scary and can be scary when people abuse them and, you know, and get hooked on certain drugs that ruin their lives. But for the most part, for a lot of people, it's not the drugs that ruin their lives, per se. It's getting arrested and going to jail. You know, I spoke with Adamo Freeman of Cop Block the other week, and, you know, he was he was selling drugs. He was selling pot in high school. I uh, knew it was illegal, but you know he just did it anyway because the incentive was there. He made a ton of money doing it because the, making it illegal takes it out of the stores like we have here in California where there's medical marijuana. Almost anyone can get a card, let's be honest, and their stores are open and drug dealers on the street don't even exist as far as I know that, that sell marijuana. That is, the black market has been almost completely eliminated. So, you know, it's, it's really, it all ties in, but it's essentially, I mean, to me, I don't know, maybe this is a good topic to talk about after we take a little break here, but to me, we can talk about the kind of priorities we should have in terms of, you know, rolling certain things back, but to me, the war on drugs is pretty much number one, if, if not number two, maybe to just ending the kind of imperial wars of, of, of the, the, the government and everything. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I completely agree. And I actually, I think it's a great idea. I think we should take a little break, we fill our drinks, and then, yeah, let's all take a moment, write down our priorities. So I think it's a great topic to talk about. Oh, we're going to write things down. I don't know. That goes against this whole unscripted thing I'm trying to do here. But uh, you guys want to get in any more thoughts on the war on drugs before we take a little break? End it. End it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I think we all agree on that. So this does seem like a good time. What the thing? We're going to step out of our living rooms, or in my case, into my living room, refill our drinks, and we will return after a word from our sponsors. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Do you want your kids to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to you through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul, and you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash Paul. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving. Agree to disagree. Yeah, it's a radio show we have on thenewamericanmedia.com every single Friday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Join the show. What do we talk about? Politics, religion, and spirituality. Basically anything you're not supposed to talk about in a bar. <laughs> You're not supposed to have these conversations inside of a bar, but we have them every single Friday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific on thenewamericanmedia.com. Join the show, offer your opinion, and let's agree to disagree, but let's have a good conversation. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the Morning Roar! That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. Every Monday we have our longest running feature, Mondays with Murray, named after the great libertarian Murray Rothbard, where we'll examine an article or an excerpt from his works and help convey his view along with our little spin as well. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LionsOfLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. This is Ben Swan, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. 
Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. We are back here once again in the Lions of Liberty Studios. At least I am here in Los Angeles with Brian McWilliams. And we're also speaking with a couple guys over in Pittsburgh. We got Trent Seaman, John Odermatt for the very first edition of what we are calling Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, where we are just having a chat. Which you know, because you just listened to the first half of the show. So let's go into what we were talking about before the break. We kind of get got into the drug war, and we started talking about how, you know, what kind of priorities libertarians should have, politically speaking. You know, I mean, I'm against the minimum wage. It doesn't help people. It, it, it pushes unskilled people out of the marketplace. But on the list of priorities, it's pretty low down there. I'm not going to be writing articles about the minimum wage every single day, whereas... I think we should write an article about the drug war every single day or, you know, be, be willing to keep covering that every single day because that issue is something that literally ends lives every time there's a raid, every time you send another kid to jail for hash brownies. I mean, the kind of stuff, to me, the kind of stuff that we need to prioritize is the kind of stuff that really, literally kills people, literally ends lives and crushes souls, <laughs> so to speak. So... What do you guys think? Let's, maybe we can just kind of do this on the fly. Just kind of do a little a ranking system. Maybe like a, a, a top three or top five priorities. So what, what do you think? Well, let's just start with the, what I think of the top two. And if you guys think there's anything else should be in the top two, feel free to add another one. But to me, it's it's either the war on drugs for number one or just ending imperialism and, and all the, the wars of aggression, I guess we could say. What do you, what do you guys think? We'll toss it to Brian first. Yeah, no, those those are actually my top two as well. Uh, I Foreign policy, the imperialism, the, you know, having bases on all these countries overseas, messing with everybody's internal politics, it's just causing blowback and terrorism. That, that for me would be number one. The war on drugs is a very close second, but there's a couple other things that I would, I would, you know, toss in there. Um, you know, education, I think is something that the libertarians care a lot about. It's, you know, the state education system is completely, uh, in a state of disarray, it's, you know, and not being able to homeschool in a lot of places is, is an issue. Um, you know, property rights, I think, is a big issue, and that goes into ecology and, and everything else, conservationism and climate change and everything, you know, and, and, uh, being able to protect one's rights. And, you know, that goes into as well having your, having your property seized by the government if you don't pay your taxes, et cetera, et cetera. So those are, those are some other ones. Even if you do pay your taxes, they can just use an eminent domain and yes. say, Hey, like this guy and uh, I posted an article as part of the morning war the other day. Uh, this guy in Atlantic City who this, this, uh, casino is going in there. They have this whole organization in Atlantic City that is specifically designed to make recommendations about you know, things the government should do to help the casino community. And one of the things they think they should do is take this old guy's house who's had it for, you know, 30 or 40 years. And because this one casino, I believe it was the, the Revel Casino, yeah, Revel. um, that Revel, I don't Something know. Like I don't go to casinos. <laughs> um, they just want it. They want to use his property for whatever reason, a adjacent parking lot or whatever it is. And the government of Atlantic City is saying, yeah, that sounds like a legitimate use. So that they're taking that away from him. So certainly issues of eminent domain, stuff like that are, are all major things to talk about. What do you guys think over in the pit? This fiscal constraint is far and away my my hot button issue, because I think if you if you tighten the purse strings of the government, so many of these issues go away. I mean, you don't have the imperialism overseas. You don't have the ability to have uh, burgeoning uh, prison populations. You don't have the police state being able to do what they do. I think if we had our, if, if people demanded that the dollar be be restored to being a, uh, a currency that was based on something uh, other than just um, the good faith of the United States government, we could solve so many problems in this world. It would be unbelievable. So, so would this, you, when you say fiscal restraint, I mean, and you're talking about a sound dollar. So are you really talking about the Federal Reserve basically being the enabler of all that? Is that kind of your your top issue then? Just the, yes. they enable the spending, they they devalue the dollar, they allow all this to happen. Would you would you then put that even above the war on drugs? Because I mean, and there's a certain logic there. I mean, when the government has all this money to spend at their disposal, well, they they can they can pursue all these policies. They can pursue a war on drugs. They can pursue wars of aggression because they don't have to think about the money too much because they know all they have to do is phone up the Fed and get those dollars in there and boom, we got the money. So you, you, would you put that even above those other things that we discuss? I would put it far and away above all those other things we discuss because it's the enabler of everything we discuss. If you don't have um, a Federal Reserve creating 
enough money to fund the three quarters of a trillion dollar military budget a year, and you actually put that on the American citizens and pull that directly out of their pocket as opposed to through inflation, people are going to start caring where their dollars are going much more than they would be if it's just being printed and put on a Federal Reserve balance sheet. So I think if you get the Federal Reserve under control and you bring the dollar back to a gold standard or any standard whatsoever that that limits the the amount of money that can be printed, you're going to see a lot of these problems disappear overnight because there's no funding source for them. That's my opinion. All right. Odie, what's your take on everything we've been tossing out here? Well, yeah, Trent kind of stole my thunder there. Uh, yeah, the, the Federal Reserve for me is, is definitely number one because it, it enables uh, the state to grow uncontrollably. Um, the state's able to tax through inflation slowly without people noticing. And it, it enables all the all their programs, the imperialism, the the arms race. Um, it, it lets everything happen. Um, and really, I don't know if the the gold standard is the answer. I mean, the gold standard. I mean, I'll be for that. I think I'm not going to be against it. But just legalizing, you know, gold as legal tender, I think is, is probably a positive step too, and let it compete with the dollar. And obviously, gold would probably, you know, not probably it, it would it would beat the dollar because gold is sound money and uh, the dollar is fiat currency that is, is worthless. It's sure. Worth- Even something as simple as just ending legal tender laws. I mean, ending laws that force people to use this dollar system in, in so many ways. That's, I mean, that's essentially what props up the dollar. We have to pay our taxes with it. We have to use it for, to pay debts. You know, we have to do that. So, you know, that's kind of what props it up in many ways. Wouldn't you guys think? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I also want to throw one more thing out there as well, which, this, you know, the police state is obviously uh, high on my list. That's something that... <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, that's almost, that's so tied into the war on drugs, because so much of the police state, and now at this point, you know, domestic terrorism is another justification right. they use, but it's really these larger excuses they use to enact a police state to enact policies that in, infringe on freedom, infringe on the Fourth Amendment, and all of that fun stuff. So, I mean... If you were going to do a ranking, would you? Uh, so if you, let's go back to that ranking idea. Would you guys both rank the Fed as number one in terms of priorities? Far and away, number one for me. All right. Yes, I, I would too. Fed is is definitely. I mean, number one I certainly far. see the logic. To me, I still put the war on drugs is probably number one because that has a direct. I mean, you end the Fed tomorrow, but you leave the war on drugs in place. I mean, that, that's still a couple more kids that are going to jail, a couple more houses that are. It's not like it's all going to end overnight. The money's not going to dry up overnight. The policies aren't going to dry up overnight. Uh, I understand the logic, though. I'm more thinking of the day to day. Like, I'd, if I could stop tomorrow from, you know, ten more kids from going to jail and having their lives ruined, I'm going to do that tomorrow. So that, to me, or or by the other token, foreign policy. You know, if I can stop an Afghani village for tomorrow. From being, you know, having a drone strike put upon them and, you know, having all these dead kids in a school or something like that. You know, those are the things I'm going to focus on first. Although I, I certainly see the logic of how, you know, essentially monetary policy and all that enables all this. But I mean, even if you, when it comes down to it, I think we need to think about, again, I always harp on this stuff is the philosophy people have because, hey, even if everyone agrees on sound money's better and we get rid of the Fed and all this, if people still think it should put people in jail for having a plant or having a drug or having any substance at all, that's still going to occur if the most people in society think that is the thing to do. And sadly, that is what most people still think is necessary. Well, Brian, what, what's your take on all this? You know, I'm, I'm actually really torn because everybody's We're making twisting a ourselves really good here. argument. No, because I keep going back and forth. I have a, I have a ranking and then somebody says something and it kind of changes my ranking because... At first, I was going to say that I agree completely. War on drugs would be my number one because I was thinking it affects, you know, like you said, it affects so many people. The foreign policy would would be a close one, but you know, you say, okay, how many of our how many of our troops are dying overseas? How many people are getting affected by terrorism here because of our foreign policy? The war on drugs is vastly uh, more enormous than that because it affects so many people in so many ways and takes away the liberty. But then I was thinking. You know, really, when you get back to it, the fiscal fiscal constraint does impact that because it does weigh in on foreign policy in a lot of ways. Um, I guess I got to go drugs number one, fiscal constraint, fiscal constraint number two, foreign policy number three. So you are basically the libertarian version of a, a very uh, confused, distraught teenage girl that just can't decide which boy to, I to take torn. to the dance. Or, or, I just uh, hope somebody calls me. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so let, all right, I don't know if we're ever going to agree on, on on swapping the Fed and the drug war and all that, but I think we probably agree those are the top three. Would would you would you stay with me on that one? Oh yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board. I I think education's a huge one too. I think William said. I mean, if we're not, if you keep feeding the uh, our, our children the same state-approved education with, you know. I hate I hate to say teachers that don't care because they do care, but it's just they're they're not incentivized to put their best foot forward. I think our education system needs some serious work. So. Yeah, I mean, to, I'm, and by work, oh, go ahead, Odie. To to stay on the the education thing for a minute, I don't know if you guys saw the the recent uh, Common Core story about um, the government hiring uh, an, analytic companies to analyze all the. Uh, the data, all the keystrokes that the kids are making in their computers, how long it takes them to answer a question, what they're answering, literally anything that you can measure, they're gathering that data, and nobody knows what they're doing with it. That's kind of scary. I mean, yeah, to me, that's... They're essentially using this common core thing as a sort of an end to the schools to monitor essentially everything that children are doing. And I don't know much about common core. It's something I want, I want to look into more. But, it, I mean, essentially what it comes down to is that the lack of freedom and and choice in education and that stems from the I mean the fact that we all accept the fact that schools should be quote unquote publicly publicly funded the state should be involved the federal government should be involved and the more people keep believing that the more it's going to keep happening um Brian what, what are your did, thoughts on I'll all say this I what does that tie into it sounds what you were saying there sounds almost exactly like people's take on healthcare as well which healthcare obviously as is one we forgot to mention but healthcare is a huge issue as well for libertarians you know now the the state's getting involved and as predicted uh many many years ago before this even started you know look at Michelle Obama getting to school lunches look at all the the restrictions people are play, having on their healthcare systems and their healthcare choices that's another one i i i like to toss into the mix and say you know where does that rank you know how high how upset should we be about the government controlling our healthcare options right now very i mean yeah we've we've talked about this on the show before but i I've had healthcare. My, I'm, I think, well, me and Trent, I think, are, are in similar situations in some ways. Trent runs his own business and purchases his own healthcare. I'm a freelancer out here. I purchase my own health insurance. Um, so these are decisions I, I think about. And, you know, I used to have health insurance. The cost went up every year, but it was very, it was catastrophic insurance. You know, I, I wasn't really covered for much out of pocket from the beginning. I had a six or seven thousand dollar deductible. And, you know, I had to spend that much before I before I would actually get any coverage, which is fine with me because I keep myself healthy for the most part. And I only want health insurance to cover me for an extreme accident. I don't want it to cover me for, you know, a, a bloody nose or a twisted ankle or, or something silly. That stuff I can take care of myself or go to my local clinic. There's a clinic up the street from me. I can go for 65 bucks and see a doctor about anything I want. So, you know, there are definitely... Uh, ways this is affecting me personally, but I think when it comes to the healthcare debate, I think a lot of times we get wrapped so wrapped up in Obamacare, which is a big problem. That's the reason my health insurance more than doubled and the reason I dropped it. Oh, sorry. We're good. I just cut out of here for a second on my own, but nothing happened. I'm gonna keep talking like I yanked our cord out by accident. He yanked the cord. Okay. Uh, what was I saying? I was mumbling something. You were talking about healthcare and if you get wrapped up in Obamacare. Okay, yeah. As, as we should get wrapped up in Obamacare, because it's awful, as I just described. It basically cost me my, my health insurance, and now I have a, I do a whole different thing for healthcare, which I'm not going to get into today. But, um, you know, man, that sounds weird the way I say it. That sounds really cryptic. Like, yeah, what is <laughs> I got what is this? Idea. No, uh, what is I'm to say, I want to hear what your secret no, plan is. It's not a secret plan. Uh, so there are certain... It's a hobo <laughs> with a popsicle stick and some gauze. I know him. He lives on the corner. There are some uh, health... Um, <laughs> Health, they're called health sharing companies, and basically what they are, uh, and I'm a member of one of them, they're basically a group of people that form an organization that voluntarily pay for each other's health care through, through monthly payments. And um, basically, I spend less than I, it's not tremendously less than I would have to pay with my Obama health care, but it's less, and I feel a hell of a lot better about not giving my money every month to one of these crony corporations, Blue Cross or what have you, one of the three or four corporations that controls this system, this, you know, this fascist healthcare system that we have. Um, so that, that's what I have. It's basically, um, you know, anytime you submit a medical bill, the, the pool of funds that everybody's money goes into just pays that bill. And a very small percentage just goes to administration and it's all transparent. It's all out there and it's all voluntary. It's not the same as insurance, but, um, it's great to have. And I, 
once I have $500 in bills, I, I start getting coverage of everything else beyond that. So it's a much better deal than I was getting with Obamacare, which actually raised my deductibles even higher. Now, it's not the same as insurance, but luckily, these organizations have um, gotten um, – um, basically, they, they qualify for the mandate. So as far as Obamacare is concerned, as far as the fines are concerned, I am completely covered in that sense. So What's the I, group called, by the way, in case everyone wants to check it out in their local, uh, the specific local group, market? The specific group I'm a member of is called Liberty Health Chair. Now, there's a lot of these groups that are, are religious-based, and they you, know, you sign a religious statement. But uh, this one is actually – it's not very. It's not specifically religious. Uh, you do have to sign a statement, you know, talking about you know, certain lifestyles you'll keep because people don't want like heroin addicts signing up for this. And then now we got to pay for all these people's heroin bills. You know, there's certain things you're supposed to agree to ahead of time. So um, I think that's just one alternative of many. And I, I'm only doing that just because I, I do want coverage. I want coverage in the case of an emergency. You know, in case I break my leg, in case I get cancer, and that's something that I feel a lot better about having. Man, I should really, they should really sponsor the show now that yeah, I just spent should. five minutes talking about it. Maybe I'll, I'll get on the horn when we're done here. But. Yeah, this is great. This I'm, is news to me, too. I, I thought, I thought you had to have healthcare. And it sounds like the, the marketplace has created a better alternative. Well, I, I think what, what basically happened is some of these organizations got religious exemptions and then that basically ushered the way in for almost any kind of wording of, you know, forming one of these groups. So it's, it's, it's not huge, but there's like four or five of them that I found that are, are all something people should look into. Well, and, what would um, you Google? What would, if you wanted to Google it to find local health? Uh, I think like health sharing, health sharing or something like that. Or, I mean, if you just look up Liberty Health Share or health, oh, you know what? It's, it's health co-ops. You should you look go. up health healthcare co-ops. Health co-ops. You should write an article yeah. about it. Let people know. Maybe I will. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to wait till I, I, I have a conversation with them about the commission I'm going to get from what this <laughs> Let's get into healthcare a little bit. This is before I even I got sidetracked because you know it's libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor, so we see where it goes. But what I meant to say about an hour ago when I started talking about this, it's only been 40 minutes. It just seems like an hour. Is that you know we focus on Obamacare, rightly so in many ways because it's what's affecting us right now. But we really need to focus on the root causes of all these healthcare problems, and that goes even far beyond before Medicare, before Medicaid. Yeah. It goes even back to the creation of the AMA, uh, the American Medical Association, the fact that we have medical licensing, the fact that you have to, you know, basically get a medical license to even practice medicine, and people can go to jail if they practice some sort of medicine that someone doesn't consider that the government believes should be licensed. And, you know, if you go to somebody and, you know, there, there are all sorts of laws restricting what what kind of services people can give to each other. And that's really the root of why healthcare is such an issue in the first place, the kind of cartelization of the healthcare industry through licensing, through patents that, you know, only certain companies, because they they figured something else out first, or maybe they didn't even figure it out, out first, maybe they were the first, just the first to get to the patent office or what have you, you know, they can c- control certain, you know, certain procedures and that kind of thing. So there are so many layers to um, the healthcare thing, and I think I have rambled about it enough so i'm going to toss it to you guys what do you guys think about all this all this healthcare stuff i'm rambling about i think you covered it <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just blown away i'm blown away this option even exists i think it's awesome yeah right? I, I the, the market i'm the surprised market. i haven't mentioned it to you yeah, guys i also had no idea it existed so, that's that's phenomenal I'm yeah. a very bad communicator then. I'm going to really have to, have to work on my, my skills as editor-in-chief. Yeah. i got to get you guys the info. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you, know, you, you do make good port markets. It goes well beyond Obamacare. And, uh, you know, it goes back to, you know, Ron Paul's talked about it at length, so I won't go into it too much. But, you know, it's getting back to the basics where you, you go to your doctor and you pay your doctor for a certain service, and there weren't layers upon layers of insurance companies and, you know, like you said, the AMA and everything else on top of that that's going to cost – just thousands of dollars a year for the doctor that's then passed down along to the rest of us. And let's, let's touch on education one more time, just since we kind of glossed over it, you know, because I think education is important in many ways, because as I always say, you know, this is about philosophy, and, and the reason we have all these problems, the reason we have an, an AMA, a medical license, the reason licensing, the reason we have a Federal Reserve, the reason we have a drug war, when it comes down to it, now I know a lot of people are uneducated about these issues, and so maybe in a lot of ways people are passive about about this stuff, and and that's why it's accepted. But the fact is people accept these things as things that are either they we, they agree we need or they just think is okay and no big deal. Because the fact is, if people didn't accept them in mass, they just they would not exist. So and that's where education comes in because the state indoctrinates people from the very beginning from the, from the education system. And hey, if people want to have public communities and people want to have their, their communities and people all want to chip in for schooling, I mean, I'm not opposed to something like that in a, in a kind of a private society way. 
But, I mean, what we have today, where government is involved at every level, they are getting into the schools at the most local of levels. Even private schools, you know, have to go through government at some level. They have to meet certain qualifications and, and that kind of thing. So what do you guys think about education in general? None of us have kids here that we know of, unless, you know, any of, you, any of us are hiding anything. But uh, none of, none of nobody has any on the way quite yet. But, you know, I'm sure you guys have all thought about it. We all have significant others. I think most of us plan to have a family someday. So what do you guys think about education? What do you think about would you send your kids to a government school? What kind of things can we do to to kind of at least free up the um, industry a little bit so people at least have some choices of what they can do with with their children? I think one of the biggest things about our education system is, first off, you can go to a public education and get a decent education, but you don't even learn how to balance a checkbook there. And that's just, to me, that that's insane. Of all the life skills you need from your basic education, you, you learn nothing about how to use a credit card or how to even pay your taxes or buy a house or make your your first investment, take care of yourself after you're 60 years old and you can't work anymore or whatever age that will be. Well, the government's going to take care of you then, right? Well, that's not really the case anymore because the, the pension system has decreased dramatically. And I, I, I guess the government still believes Social Security will be around for our generation, but I think the vast majority of us realize there's no way it could possibly be here. And I think with, with the establishment of 401ks and essentially every company going from a defined benefit pension plan to a defined contribution pension plan, that the liability has been shifted to the employee to figure out how to take care of themselves once they retire. But the education system doesn't pick that up at all and help people to understand how to do that. That would be the biggest thing I could add to the education system. And I, I don't know, I'll leave it there. I'm sure everybody has a lot to say, but that's that would be my biggest thing. I think Trent just announced that he's going to be starting his own online um, <laughs> tutorial for uh, how to balance a checkbook and uh, <laughs> use credit card for uh, high school kids. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Trent's finance that. online. I think we just came up <laughs> yeah. with something here. This could work. I mean, we're joking, but it's, it's not a joke in a lot of ways because so much education is becoming available online. Uh, there's so much information out there. I mean, if people are, you know, studious enough or ambitious enough, you can seek out information on absolutely anything uh, on YouTube. I know a lot of people that homeschool use, uh, I can't really remember the name of it offhand, but there is an online school that's everything is on YouTube. It's very popular. You know, maybe it'll come University to me at some point. Phoenix? No, no, That's no. more secondary education. No, we're definitely... ABC Mouse? Amazing library, though. It's, <laughs> yeah. The amount of information on YouTube is mind-boggling. Oh, yeah, you can learn how to do anything. Well, you know, one thing I want to add on uh, education real quick is just that you know, people, and you talk to a lot of liberal, especially liberals, but they say, you know, the state's taking care of it, and, you know, who's going to do it if not for the state? But it's actually been proven, and, and it's funny because everybody says we need to give, you know, the problem is always that education doesn't have enough money. We need more money, take more money for the schools, more money for the teachers, more money for the books. But it's actually been proven, proven by a study that was done that the more money that is actually invested into government-run agencies, government-run projects, the worse the results are. So if we pour more money into education, we're actually going to get even worse results than we already have back. Well, I mean, yeah, you have to remember not every, you know, not every area, not every public school is created equal. I mean, you get a corrupt person on a board, they could steal half the money or funnel it to their friends. I mean, so it's, it's, it varies that way. But I think a big thing with education and especially higher education I guess all education, but I'll talk about higher education, is that technology is advancing so fast that the government can't keep up. I mean, you don't even need to be on a campus anymore to learn. You don't need to be in a building. All these uh, universities built these enormous campuses to you know, hold all these students, and people can sit in their living room and access all the information and get a degree. So the, the model's broken, and it's, I mean, I don't know when it's going to blow up, but it's only a matter of time until the bubble, the bubble bursts, and when it bursts, it's going to be it's going to be an ugly one for sure. Well, look at the declining returns on university educations. I mean, everywhere you look right now, the, there's new college graduates graduating from college and can't find a job, but yet have the highest amount of student loan debt that our our country's our country probably our world has ever seen. I mean, unemployment in Spain 
for recent college graduates is, is approaching 50%. It's just, it's mind boggling how the university system has failed to transition their students from university to profession. And it's just, I, I see people losing faith in, in the value of college degree provides. This is a great chance for a plug because next week I'm actually speaking with a guy named Aaron Califato who he runs a, a one-man play called For Profit which is about um, basically his experience with student debt and basically just kind of putting out the whole issue of student debt out there and how it's affecting so many lives, how people get sucked into it, how a lot of these organizations, they know they're going to get federal money, they know a lot of people from the military are going to get guaranteed loans, so they go after these people, they convince them to enroll in these universities and get these degrees that you know now a lot of these millennials coming out are finding out they're not really worth much. <laughs> when everybody has something, it's not worth that much. So when everybody's got a college degree because the government's putting so much money in it, making lo loans very easy to get, anybody can go, well, it becomes devalued. And, and, and people are learning that firsthand now. And also that's affecting, this is because I just read an article somebody wrote, uh, it was a, an open letter to a university that had solicited a guy with a master's degree for money. And he wrote them back a very interesting letter taking down the whole system based upon the loans and the whole secondary education system where he cited an interesting fact which is I think it was something around the inflationary rate for college education is something around in the last you know 20 30 years something like it's gone up 450 percent for a college education it's at least that much might be double that yeah, yeah because these loans are available the government's involved you want a loan you got it you know obama says it in every speech he gives if you want to go to college we want to make sure everybody goes to college it's like well that's not that's not exactly a great idea yeah, I, mean, I mean everybody doesn't need to go to college i mean obviously i met all you guys in college i'm glad i did i had a great time but in terms of the actual skills I acquired, I mean, I, I found myself, as I know you guys did, taking a lot of courses that I didn't necessarily need to take. I just was taking them to fill credits. It, didn't, it wasn't anything to do with, you know, my career or the skills I developed for that. And, you know, I work with people that do exactly what I do, working in the television production industry out here in L.A. I, I know people that have college degrees like I do. I know people that have a high school degree and then went right into the workforce and they learned all the same skills that I have just in the workforce so you I mean not everybody needs to go to college not everybody even needs to go to high school necessarily i mean maybe some people are can be homeschooled and can start a business at the age of 12 i don't see any reason that's not possible um but i think the real thing is everyone has this mentality of everyone needs to do this everyone needs to go to preschool and then everyone needs to go to k to 12 and everyone needs to go to college and then if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer you can do more school but you got to at least do through the college and if you don't do that, you're a failure in life. And, you know, so you got to do whatever you got to do to get there, whether it's student going into massive amounts of debt or, I don't know, maybe dealing drugs, I don't know, or stripping. <laughs> look, at, look at all the things people do to get through college just because they are, they're convinced that it's the only way to succeed in life. Well, you know what's funny? Uh, just think about this is that when you think about it, really the smartest people are the ones that don't need to go to college. Really, the dumber people should need to go to college, right? Because if you're smart, you'll find a way to educate yourself, find a way into a career. You spend four four years. I mean, the smartest people I know are people that haven't gone to college. and They've made their own way because they had the ability to do so. I mean, hey, maybe college is a place where we'll send our, our dullards as things evolve. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of like a... I know it did wonders for me. What's the movie I'm thinking of? Um idiocracy thank you idiocracy. thank you Odie. thank you yeah, yeah. you know we're, i mean that's totally a, i could see a scene from idiocracy where they they go oh man this guy oh we got to send him off to college right. he's not going to get anywhere but... you can find your way otherwise you know what you want to do you go you know you work at it you find an industry you, you know, it's there's a way you can do it without having to waste four years of your life as you said taking classes that are meaningless and getting hammered all right. All right, guys, I think we've had a pretty good first session here in our, our little experiment, our little libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. Or is it drinking liquor in living rooms? See, I, don't, I already don't remember. It's I thought it was drinking liquor in libraries. Oh, oh man, we did this, we did <laughs> this all wrong. Libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. We're going to be printing T-shirts and selling sell them on the website here. <laughs> there you go. And if you want a T-shirt, you can come over to our social media and ask us for one there. And that, that's how we'll know that the market is there to make them. There you go. Don't forget to come over to our social media. Please, if you like what you hear in our podcast, if you like us hanging out and, and doing our thing here, Facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. Find us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. Find us on Google+. 
wherever you can find us, just come join the conversation because that's all we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to think about things a little bit differently, to look at things in a different way. Guys, before uh, before I sign off for, for good here, how about any th- final thoughts about the things we've talked about today? We've gone over a lot of stuff, you know, the war on drugs, libertarian priorities, Rand Paul, so much we've talked about. Any final thoughts? Brian, how about you? Scotch is delicious. Scotch is delicious. What more can you say? Odie? Uh, don't trust Rand Paul as far as you can throw him. And you can't throw him really that far, I don't think. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right, Trent. Uh, don't be afraid to think for yourself. I like that one. Getting a little philosophical on us. And, uh, well, I'm going to do what I always do and say every single issue we've talked about can come down to one thing, and that is the fact that so many people have a, a bad philosophy. They think it's appropriate to use force on other people to do a plethora of things, whether it's stop them from using drugs, whether it's preemptively stop them from possibly, you know, attacking us here, you know, whatever logic they use for our overseas bombings, or whether it's to make sure they get the right education. We need to use force on everybody to pump money into those systems, or whether it's to get them health care. It all comes down to a bad philosophy, and that's why Philosophy Guru over here is going to keep focusing on that. And I'm, I was glad to have you guys in here today. It was, it was a really good time. Um, all right, lines of liberty out. All right, I got to say my catchphrase. You guys going to say it with me as I go out, all right? Let's ask everybody what we need them to do out there, all right? Live long and, and live, live free. free. We'll do it one more time. <laughs> I know John's, live free I know part, John's right? listening to this right now just like, right, We'll just do and live free. Oh, yeah, I'll say live long. You guys do live free. Let's, How's that let's work? stick with that. Man. That's better, all right. Until next time, guys, of course, don't forget to live long and live free.